This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hola, bienvenidos, buongiorno. Welcome to an all-new episode of the Low Life Podcast. I'm your hot, delicious mess of a host, Lo Von Arumpf. And I'm so happy to be here with you today. So happy to be here. No place I'd rather be than right here with my low lifers. I hope you're having a good week and a beautiful day so far. And if you're not having a good day and you're having a bit of a shitty kitty type of week, no worries, boo-boo. About to turn that frown upside down. We got a great show in store for you today. Nobody asked, but mental health-wise, looking like a solid 7.5 out of 10. A little bit of a dip. Yeah. Hitting some hard times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for the last few weeks, it's been like eights, nines, and well, I've never had a 10 out of 10. That's like euphoric bliss. But I've been in the high eights and nines. This week, 7.5. And that's only because I was in a bit of a funk. Yeah. And no particular reason. I think maybe I was just feeling a little shitty, not sleeping that great. That contributes to it and just feeling a little bit off. And actually, I know the reason why I was probably feeling off. It's because I haven't been able to see my family. I live in LA, but when I don't get a chance to go and see my family in Orange County or I feel disconnected, I'm not talking to the queen on the phone like I usually do or checking in with my dad. I, I sometimes just feel off uh, because I love to stay like connected with them. And I've just been so busy. My professional life is thriving, styling my ass off. Everything's great there. It's really good to to be busy and having, you know, clients coming in. And yeah, my schedule's been jam-packed. And so between that and I'm throwing some dates in there, definitely date and having a good time with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's been really fun. Um, I'm enjoying my life, but the only time I'm really able to fully decompress and just feel comfortable, completely safe, and myself without worrying about any bullshit in the world is when I'm at home. Well, not my home, is when I go to my parents' home. There's just something about going back to my parents' place that just really does it for me. I have a lot of friends who don't live anywhere near their families. They won't see their families for months or sometimes years at a time with the pandemic. I'm always so impressed by those people because I wouldn't be able to do it. There's just no way. I'm so connected uh, to my family, and I feel like they're the backbone of my sanity. So <laughs> I definitely um, love to have as much family time as I can. Um, of course, you know, I do my thing in L.A., but, you know, if I get a chance to drive to Orange County, I'm going to take it because it's just very recharging. But I also am lucky in the sense that um, I have family members that recharge me and they don't deplete me because I have some friends that prefer to live away from their families uh, because they don't have the best relationship with them. But no, I, I love the queen. I love my dad and I love talking to him all the time. So not getting to spend time with them makes me feel a little bit off. So my goal, this is Thursday, uh, my goal is to spend some time this weekend is, is make that commitment to go to Orange County and hang out with the fam. I recorded this little audio clip of my family at the last little family barbecue that we had. And it's just like, I replay it sometimes when I'm just like, oh, I miss my family. But just to give you a little tapa, a little appetizer of mi familia, this is a little glimpse into uh, the kitchen, my queen's kitchen. Here we are. Hola. Hello. Hola. Hola. 
¿Cómo está? Ay, very mexicano. Here we go. Okay, gracias. Yeah, that was my family doing a game night. We were playing some loteria and having some delicious uh, fajitas, enchiladas, frijoles. We were just doing the whole works. Uh, good old-fashioned Mexican barbecue. I'm craving the queens cooking, um, some good music, some good food, and some family time. Um, so yeah, I'll be getting that in this weekend. That's the goal. All right, let's talk about today's show. I'm very excited for today's show. Mm, all right, you know, we're kicking off Hispanic Heritage Month. And I was thinking, what should I do for the low life? What should I do for my low lifers? And I decided... I'm going to take you putas on a Mexican cruise. Okay, do you remember back in Pride Month, June, I took you guys on a gay cruise during that episode? We talked about sexuality, homophobia, the LGBTQIA community, and the social impacts that we've had on society today and culture today. Remember, that was with Ellie and I. We did that little cruise moment. Well, that metaphorical cruise ship, the Titanic, if you will, that has sunk to the bottom of the ocean, and there's a new cruise ship this is a Mexican one, and it's just in time for Hispanic Heritage Month. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm taking you on a cruise, another one, free ticket to paradise. Wait, we need a name for this cruise ship. The last one was called like the USS Elo for Elliot and Lo. Um, this one we'll call, hmm, how about the Puta Carnival Cruise? <laughs> yeah. I like how I just went carnival. Like that's like one of the shittiest cruise lines. <laughs> Haven't they had like so many problems and shit goes wrong on a carnival cruise? They're affordable, but uh, problematic, which feels a lot like the low life. So it's a perfect name. So on today's little puta carnival cruise, we are going to dive into the world of cultural icon Selena Quintanilla. All right. So for most of you listening, you're probably familiar with Selena through the classic movie uh, Selena, played by Jennifer Lopez. That movie is the reason J-Lo has a career today. Really put her ass on the map. And yeah, that's controversial in its own right. We'll get into that. But that movie also introduced Selena to a whole new audience. The world really got to meet Selena and get familiarized with her story through that movie. And it's a tragic story. It's a beautiful one, but it's tragic. And but yeah, her story lives on through this movie. If you haven't had a chance to watch the Selena movie, um, how dare you? Why don't you go watch it right now? Just stop what you're doing and go get Selena. Go watch it. Or the Netflix series. That's another thing you could watch. For many people, I'd say most people outside of the uh, Latino community, that's pretty much where it begins and ends with the movie and the Netflix series. But for anyone who knows me, well, you know, that's not the end of it for me. Well, hell, that's just the freaking tip of the metaphorical iceberg, if you will. You guys know I love Selena. I reference her constantly. And the thing is, when I reference Selena all the time, I know most people, like my friends, look at it like, oh, Lo, we get it. Like, you're a super fan, and she's like the Mexican Madonna, and that's why you love her. It's the equivalent of someone saying, like, they're a big Whitney Houston fan, or they grew up loving Britney Spears, which I get. I understand that logic. But the roots run a little bit deeper when it comes to my love for Selena Quintanilla. And I'm sure if you're listening to this and you are Latino, you can understand what I'm talking about. The cultural impact Selena's had on music, race, politics, pop culture, I mean, hell, even society today, it's massive. She's freaking incredible. Her story is inspirational, her music, her voice. I mean, the woman that she is, who she represents is really fundamental to Latino culture and her impact, 
my God, has it transcended generations. So I want to talk about that today. It's the perfect way to start this little Hispanic Heritage Month series that we're doing here at the Low Life Podcast. So I hope you end up enjoying this episode. There are a lot of little golden nuggets, takeaways from it. And today's show is more than just an episode about a Mexican icon or a Mexican Madonna. This episode's really about hope. It's about following your dreams. It's about making shit happen and staying true to who you are. It's an episode about authenticity. So without further ado, let's start our journey on this puta carnival cruise ship. First stop is Corpus Christi, Texas. Here we go. Hit it. So when it comes to Latinos, Chicanos, Hispanics, it's like 50 shades of brown up in here. We got a lot of light, medium, dark, mocha, chocolate, some hazelnut, cinnamon. There's a lot of variety, all different variations of brown and black, and it's all beautiful. It should all be celebrated. But unfortunately, within our race, which, I mean, race is just a human construct, but within our people there's still colorism that exists. And we're not the only race to experience that. I know it's prevalent in Asian culture, even amongst Black people themselves. Uh, you'll see a lot of colorism. That was just a big hot topic uh, with Meghan Markle and how dark her baby would be. So that being said, I've seen that with my own people, especially here in America. It's gotten a little bit better over time, but there's still a strong bias and there's definitely prejudice that exists. So the colorism is real. And then you throw Chicanos in the mix. Oh, damn. Now things get a little bit complicated within our people. And a Chicano, by the way, is just referring to someone who is born here in the States, born in America, but they're of Mexican descent. So I'm a Chicano. So a common thing you'll hear amongst Latinos, Hispanics, uh, in regards to someone who was born here in the States, uh, a Chicano, if they're super Americanized or whitewashed, if you will, they'll get called a pocho. Pocho or pocha. It's a negative term. <laughs> it refers to someone who's just very whitewashed American, like a gringo or gringa. Someone who speaks broken Spanish and Spanish isn't their native tongue. It's Spanglish. That's me. I'm a pocho. And so I don't like being called that. Sometimes the queen will refer to me as a pocho if I don't say words correctly. Like if I'm asking for some cilantro, she doesn't like that. She's like, cilantro? Pocho, say it correctly in this house. I'm like, sorry, queen, can I have some cilantro? <laughs> Gotta roll that R for the queen. Stuff like that. I've also said, you know, hey, queen, are you going to make some guac? I want some guac with those taquitos. She's like, what the f*** did you just say guac? This isn't Chipotle, it's guacamole. Say it correctly in this house. I'm like, oh, shit. Sorry, queen. I have some guacamole with the taquitos. <laughs> um, so anyway, it's just, again, someone who's very Americanized, and that's just a common uh, term that's used. And again, it's not said in a complimentary way. It's a way to describe someone who is super whitewashed. But I'm not. I grew up in a super Mexican household. <laughs> Yeah, I'm second generation. My mom was born in the States, as was I. Uh, but my family originates from Mexico, Jalisco, some family in Zacatecas and Guadalajara. And there's some Spanish blood on my grandfather's side. We've got some Native American indigenous bloodlines on my great grandmother's side. But my family came over the border 
ended up in Texas, Corpus Christi and Brownsville, Texas. And because I come from a family of migrant farm workers, they followed the crops, followed the land, wherever the crops were growing. So eventually they ended up in California. I still have a lot of family in Texas, but the nucleus, the heartbeat of Meat Familia is in California. Hair thinning impacts a lot of us. In fact, over half of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives. It's not only common, it's normal. Join over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. I've been recommending it to my friends and family. I take it. My mama, the queen, takes it. Queen, you love it. Oh, yeah. I recommend it to my hairstylist. I recommend my sister-in-law and even my niece. We range in age from like 22 to 67. They're loving it. Yeah, they are. It's a great Mother's Day gift. Oh, I love it. It's amazing. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code LOWLIFE. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code LOWLIFE. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code LOWLIFE. So I grew up incredibly close with my mother's side of the family, specifically my grandma, my nana is what I called her. And I've talked about her on the podcast before. Oh, what an absolute queen. Perfect time to mention her during Hispanic Heritage Month. This woman was incredible, my best friend. She was just beautiful and kind and soulful and just radiated in life. She was magnetic. People just fell in love with her, as did I. She heavily influenced my life. And I mean, she's the reason why I even know who Selena Quintanilla is. And I remember watching TV with her as a kid, all the way up until my adult life. And my nana pretty much lived with us my whole life. And if she wasn't in our home, she had a house just a few blocks away. So I just have these very vivid memories of laying in bed with her. And we'd watch uh, novelas, which are Mexican soap operas. And we'd watch them every night. And she'd be in these luxurious silk robes. And she'd be applying her serums and her retinols and hyaluronic anti-aging serums and... Again, the influence is real. I've become my Nana. But we'd watch these novellas together. Esmeralda was a big one. Rosalinda, that was starring Dalia, who's amazing. Uh, One I loved was Abujetas de Color de Rosa or Pueblo Chico Infierno Grande, uh, which translates to small town, big hell, which pretty much sums up what all of these soap operas were. Just these little shows with a lot of hell going down in them. So much drama, overacting, and uh, they were amazing. But I remember watching all of this Mexican television on Univision with her, and I watched Sabado Gigante and Cristina, and, and Cristina is a huge talk show host in Mexico. She's basically the Mexican Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> and she's a light-skinned, blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman. She looks completely white. If you didn't know her and she didn't open her mouth and speak, you'd, you'd think th- her name was Amber. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and watching all of these novellas with my nana, I noticed that The actors, the talk show hosts, all the newscasters were super white looking. Everyone was light skinned, usually had blue or green eyes and blonde hair. Even the guys. Once in a while, they throw a brunette in there, but uh, it wasn't very common. I just thought it was weird because the people that were represented on television were just a very small fraction of what Hispanics, Latinos, Chicanos look like. Like they were just showing the white people. 
I'm like, yeah, but we have brown people in our family and black people and people of all different colors. And why aren't they being shown on television? So I noticed that. And I also noticed just within my own family. So I'm tan, but I'm a little bit lighter skinned. I can get pretty dark if I go out in the sun because I got that melanin. The queen is light skinned as well. If she goes in the sun, though, she looks like full blown Sacagawea, like her skin gets super chocolatey. But I remember my mom sharing stories about her being light skinned with lighter eyes and her sister being dark skinned with darker eyes. And they were treated differently growing up. And my mom would be chosen for like being the flower girl or she got all the compliments as a kid and people would say, oh, you're so beautiful. And they wouldn't say the same for her sister or she would get a light skinned Barbie doll for Christmas and they'd give her sister a black Barbie doll. And it wasn't done in a nice way. It was done in a way to like mock her for her skin tone. Again, we're talking late 60s, early 70s. Being racist and prejudiced was societal norm. It wasn't a big deal to be that way, which is wild to me. Uh, But shit like that would happen all the time. So I was noticing that just within our family, also represented on television, glorifying or praising uh, Caucasian-like features. And I remember my Nana telling me at one point when I was a kid, like, oh, thank God you're light-skinned, mijo, because that's going to be good. Like, you'll be able to get a good job. You'll be able to fit in with the white man. (laughs) I was like, what? Like, in her head, she thought, oh, because you're light-skinned, that means you're going to have more opportunity. This is a good thing. And I'm like, that's so twisted. And I know she said it in a very innocent way, but, but I'm like, we got a lot of brown and black up in our family. That's so sad that the default setting is you'll have more opportunity if you have uh, more Caucasian-like features. Anyway, even when it came down to my last name, which again, my dad has a German last name, but my dad's Mexican and German. Uh, but my last name is Von Rumpf. And so, yeah, there's a splash of German in there. I don't relate to the German. I don't even identify with it in any way, shape, or form, except literally just the last name and occasionally we'll throw a pickle in our Christmas tree, which I think is a German tradition. I don't even know. But yeah, I like pretzels. But outside of eating a pretzel once in a while and uh, my last name, I don't identify, connect with anything German. Matter of fact, I grew up not even knowing that German was part of my background. Yeah, my mom never told me intentionally. The queen's like, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. Like it's, <laughs> like it's shrouded in shame. And it's not necessarily that we felt shame to be German. We just didn't identify with it. It was like a small fraction of who I was. Uh, but my mom didn't grow up in that culture, immersed in German culture or food. And either did my dad outside of, again, the occasional pretzel. So we just didn't really have the influence of, of that part of the culture tradition brought into our home. Uh, besides a really cool last name that people seem to love. <laughs> so I love the acronym, you know, Lowe von Rumpf, LVR. It works. It's like lover. So, you know, there's one good thing that came out of it. Maybe one day I could, you know, get in touch with my Germanic roots. I remember as a kid, uh, there was this Oktoberfest event. And my dad said, you know, maybe we should go to this Oktoberfest. They have, you know, food and music and drinks and it could be fun. So uh, my mom's like, sure, whatever. <laughs> okay, let's go. So we ended up going to this Oktoberfest event and this was in Orange County. And it was at this lodge slash rec center type place. So we go and it's just filled with Germans. <laughs> so my family and I get a table and it was like the long uh, communal style tables with bench seating. So you go up to the buffet, you get your plate and then when you sit down and then they had waiters coming around to offer, you know, bread and, and water and that sort of thing, drinks. 
anyway, so we're sitting there and again, it's me, my family, you know, I had my uncle, my godfather. And uh, what was so awkward was when my godfather and my uncle would get up uh, to go to the buffet to get food. Mind you, it was a lot of white people up in this room. But every time my uncle got up to go get something from the buffet table, people would start handing him their dirty plates. (laughs) People would start like lifting their glass like, can we get a refill on this beer, bruh? And it was so awkward because... They assumed he was a waiter. And the reason why I know that to be true was uh, not because he was dressed like a waiter or anything, but because he's Hispanic at an Oktoberfest, like predominantly German event. And um, all the waiters, all the staff that were helping people just so happened to be Hispanic, like my uncle. So anyway, it was really awkward. So my mom was like, okay, we're getting the hell out of here. We're done with Oktoberfest. Because if someone hands me their dirty plate or asks me for a refill, I'm going to go off. So I bring all this up and the colorism that exists within my people because I remember a specific moment where I was laying on the bed again, just watching TV like I always do with my Nana. And I remember this so, so vividly because I saw this black haired, beautiful queen on a stage glittering in this bustier top like a beacon of hope, a superhero. That's what she looked like to me. I was all of, what, five years old? And I was mesmerized by her. Boom, standing there, smack dead, in the middle of the stage, all the lights on her. And then she started singing, and this beautiful voice came out. I was overwhelmed. It was in that very moment, I knew I was gay. (laughs) Can you imagine? I'm like, Selena made me gay. (laughs) This whole podcast becomes about how Selena is the reason why I'm gay. No, that's not the reason why I'm gay. I talked about that several episodes back. But seeing this beautiful Latina on stage, she had full lips, hips, a booty, beautiful brown skin, big brown eyes, just absolutely stunning on that stage. And I'm looking at her as a kid and I'm like, oh my God, she looks like women in my family. She looks like one of my cousins, literally. (laughs) Like the same hair, body type. And I was like, this is incredible. I looked at her and I was just absolutely hooked. And then come to find out after watching her in a bunch of interviews, I learned that she's Chicana. She's Mexican, but she was born here in America, just like me. And not only that, but she didn't speak Spanish fluently, which was kind of a taboo. Like, especially if you're in the you know Mexican music market. Not being able to speak fluent Spanish could be kind of frowned upon, but it wasn't when it came to Selena. She was actually embraced and people just loved her. She was so charming and so charismatic. And what I loved was she was so authentically herself and she had no problem screwing it up once in a while and wouldn't get embarrassed. She would just laugh and keep going. Uh, She really stayed true to who she was. And and I remember I would get embarrassed sometimes with my family when I would screw up words in Spanish or I didn't know the right pronunciation of something. And, you know, you just screw it up a little bit. It's like a Spanglish. And and seeing Selena do that in different interviews on television and just making a little mistake and being like, oops, and keep going, you know, like she would just own it. And it was so endearing and sincere that people couldn't get mad or frown upon that They just embraced Selena for who she was, and I was really inspired by that. I thought it was pretty cool to see that. The thing about Selena was she wasn't trying to be anybody different. She knew that she was Chicana. She was, you know, Mexican-American and owned it, loved it, and was proud of who she was. She was proud of her roots, and she also embraced the American side of herself, too, which was so refreshing for the time. 
it was pretty cool to see this beautiful pop star on television talking about the same foods that I grew up eating, referencing other music artists that I love listening to. It was such a breath of fresh air. You're negotiating right now to be franchising out. Um, there's also going to be a perfume that's going to be coming out, the Selena perfume, and it's going to smell like uh, chorizo and huevos. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, I'm more like menudo. That's what Robert said. <laughs> It was just really cool to see a Chicana mainstream with her beautiful black hair, brown eyes, rocking a bold red lip, doing big campaigns like Coca-Cola. I saw her on television and it was just, again, nothing I'd seen before. And it just blew my mind. I was like, damn, this is so cool. Like, I want to be Selena when I grow up. I want to do a Coca-Cola commercial like she did. You know, the special thing about Selena Quintanilla is she was this magnetic force that just lit up the room. Uh, she was born for the stage, literally, but she came from absolutely nothing. Dirt poor background. Which brings me to the second part of today's show is the early life of Selena. She is the American dream personified. And all of the influences she had in her early life, what she grew up listening to is the same shit that I was listening to like Janet Jackson and Madonna, and she loved funk and soul, and she completely revolutionized an entire genre of music. It was incredible, but it all started when she was, what, seven years old? So let's jump into that. This is the next part of today's show. We're going to jump into early years of Selena Quintanilla, the making of a star. Hit it. No me queda más yeah, so Selena started singing at a really young age, and her dad was freaking so strict, Abraham Quintanilla. But her early life, childhood, even teen years, is very similar to Michael Jackson. If we had to compare her to an American pop star, that would be the one. They both grew up Jehovah's Witnesses. They both had super strict dads. Joseph Jackson is a notorious hard ass. I mean, he beat the hell out of Michael and his brothers. And yeah, he was a really tough dad. And Selena's dad, Abraham Quintanilla, is, you know, that traditional Mexican machismo dad. And he's still alive today. I believe he lives in Texas, but it's just super old school. And their mothers were really similar too. Catherine Jackson had a very soft demeanor, almost hidden, like a listen to your father type of approach. Just again, very old school, staying out of the spotlight. And that was how Selena's mom was too, Marcella. And Abraham Quintanilla and Joseph Jackson both managed their children. They had all of their kids involved in the band. So both Michael Jackson and Selena Quintanilla grew up doing music. That was the way their families made income. They had to do it with their siblings, the Jackson Five, Selena y Los Dinos. And they both had to work their asses off. Little Selena was singing in clubs, festivals, weddings, quinceañeras. And then she started to pop off. By the time Selena got in her teen years, she had already been performing for years. So she had a very good sense of self, stage presence. She felt very comfortable performing in front of audiences. And yeah, she was just killing it. 
And she just honed in on that craft, her vocals, her dancing, her moves, everything, even her, her sense of fashion. So by the time she got into her early 20s and her career was just popping off and she was just exploding onto the scene, she was a well-seasoned performer at that point. I think that's why people were just so enamored by her. And she was so personable and sweet and charismatic. So again, people were just obsessed with her because she was fresh, she was innovative, and what she was bringing to the table, which a lot of people don't realize, was she was changing the entire sound of Tejano music. I remember my family playing like traditional Tejano music at barbecues and cookouts, that sort of thing. I'm like, turn this shit off. <laughs> turn this damn ranchero music off. It just wasn't the vibe. I didn't grow up wanting to hear that shit. But then I heard Selena Quintanilla Tejano music, and I was like, er. What the hell is this? Sign me up. This is incredible. It was this new, sexy, synthesized, like modern, cool style of Tejano music that I instantly became obsessed with. My family loved it. My mom, my nana, my grandma, my uncles, aunts were all dancing. It was just such a good beat and vibe that you couldn't help but love it. And again, it was just so new and so innovative that it became a staple at every family barbecue, birthday, anniversary, quinceanera. Like we were always blasting Selena all day, every day. It's the soundtrack of my childhood, the soundtrack of my adult life too. Uh, it's just so good. This music will get you on your feet, will get your hips moving. That cumbia, you could feel it in your freaking soul. There was something special to it. is she had English songs too, so it appealed to a wide range of audience, both Spanish and English speakers. I was so young at the time, but heavily influenced by her music. Selena's album was my first cassette tape. It was my first CD. The memories I have as a kid dancing with my Nana and my mom and my aunts and just having a good time always playing her music is the reason why I love it so much and just love her as an artist so much. But on the flip side, the sad part is I had to come to terms with what death was. It was a new concept that I didn't really understand. And I remember I was six years old and I walked into the living room and my Nana was just crying and my mom was crying and everyone was just so sad. I said, what happened? What's going on? And they told me Selena has been shot. She died, mijo. That's what my Nana told me. I said, what do you mean? Like She's just not here anymore? Like, no, she's gone. She was killed. My heart instantly broke in that moment as a young boy who so admired this artist. And yeah, it was a really hard thing for me to wrap my mind around the fact that someone I looked up to and idolized at such a young age was just like that, just taken from the world. I was like, how does that even happen? <sighs> yeah, that was a real blow to the heart. And her death was just so tragic. 
It sent shockwaves and was just being talked about everywhere. It was all over the mainstream media. One of the biggest stars in Tejano music, Corpus Christi's Selena, is dead. The woman suspected of shooting Selena is still holding police at bay. You're looking at a live picture right now coming to you from navigation where the standoff continues. She has a gun and has it pointed at her head. Grammy award-winning music star Selena has been shot and killed in Texas. The 23-year-old Mexican-American singer died at a Corpus Christi hospital after being shot this afternoon at a Days Inn motel. Just 23 years old, as we said, Selena quickly became one of the most popular figures on the Tejano music scene. She won a Grammy last year for Best Mexican-American Album. Her latest album, Amor Prohibido, meaning Forbidden Love, went quadruple platinum, selling almost half a million copies. Interestingly, most of her recordings were in Spanish, but Spanish was not really her native language. Uh, it was English, which she had just started to record in. Last year, Selena joked in an interview she still had trouble pronouncing Spanish R's properly. She could have been uh, an even bigger star had she crossed over into English and more pop music. In the meantime, we have people that are killed by hundreds and hundreds of people, fans of Selena Quintanilla, better known in the Tejano industry as La Princesa de La Onda Tejana. They're coming by waiting to see how this is going to turn out. Uh, the police chief tells us, assistant police chief tells us that they are going to wait it out. All they want is to get her out safe and they don't want her to hurt herself or anybody else. That's all we have for now. We will have more for you later tonight. God, people were so upset. But the ones who felt it the most were the Latino community. Just to put it in perspective, the death of Selena Quintanilla to Hispanics and Latinos specifically is very similar in the way the world grieved for Princess Diana. It's just devastating, heartbreaking news, and it just felt like part of us is gone. Princess Diana was referred to as the princess of the people because she was so relatable and she just felt real. And, and the royal family had such a cold exterior and no one really showed true emotion or compassion or any sort of feelings up in that Buckingham Palace. So that's why people just connected so much with Princess Diana. And it's the same sentiment uh, for Selena. So the woman that actually shot Selena... Yolanda Saldivar, she actually started off as a big fan of Selena. That's the sad irony about this whole tragedy. She loved her music, and she ended up getting in touch with Selena's dad, and she offered to start the Selena fan club. So she ended up becoming the president of the fan club, and over the course of four years of running the fan club, it was thriving under Yolanda's leadership, doubled the numbers because of Selena's popularity, so Yolanda actually got to know Selena. She became friends with her. She got to know the family. And eventually, she was involved in all aspects of Selena's growing empire. At one point, I read that Yolanda had access to Selena's checking accounts. I mean, she was really part of that tight-knit family unit. So as she grew closer to Selena and the family, they entrusted her with more. Selena had such an eye for style. She designed her own costumes and people loved the way she dressed. Her fashion sense was on point. So she ended up starting her own fashion label. She started designing clothes and she even opened up fashion boutiques. Yolanda came into play because she started to help manage the boutiques and she was also heavily involved being the president of the fan club. So people started to reach out to Abraham fans because they weren't receiving the merch they had ordered from the fan club. They were paying their dues. So Selena's dad was going over all the financial records, taking a closer look at the books, and he saw that Yolanda had been embezzling funds. She was stealing from them for a while. Of course, as soon as this all came to light, 
Uh, Abraham met up with Yolanda and she was fired on the spot. Boom. Bye, Yolanda. Get the hell out of here. And apparently a lot of people in Selena's camp were very thankful that Yolanda was out of the picture because she was very controlling, sometimes possessive, and she didn't show that side to Selena or Abraham Quintanilla, her father. But anyone who was getting close to Selena, like the designer she was working with for her fashion label, publicists, backup dancers, that sort of thing, Yolanda was not cool with those people. So after she was fired, about three weeks went by. Selena kept in contact with Yolanda because she needed financial documents for taxes. I mean, Yolanda was so involved in everything that she had a bunch of paperwork and stuff. And just thinking about that, this is before the digital era. So I guess if you have actual like paperwork and taxes and financial records, it's in manila folders kept in an office, um, not on a computer. So Selena needed all that stuff that Yolanda had. So they agreed to meet up at Yolanda's motel in Corpus Christi. So Selena shows up. Yolanda gives her the documents, turns them over. But as soon as Selena leaves the room, Yolanda pulls out a gun and shoots her in the back. The bullet ends up hitting Selena right underneath her right shoulder. It severed a major artery. So Selena was bleeding profusely and she runs to the lobby and she tells them she's been shot. And her last words were basically identifying Yolanda as the killer. She said, I was shot by Yolanda and she was rushed to the hospital, but it was too late. She had already lost so much blood. They couldn't even do a blood transfusion, and yeah, she was gone. Yolanda ended up locking herself in her car outside the motel for like seven hours on a standoff with the police. They surrounded her car, and she was threatening to kill herself, which would have been the easy way out. I'm actually glad she didn't kill herself. I think her rotting in a jail cell for the rest of her miserable life is the better option, and that's where she's been for the last 25 years. She's actually up for parole next year. I can't even imagine her being let out of prison like so many people would want to kill her. Um, but again, it's a possibility, so I guess we'll see how that unfolds. So right after Selena died, this is in April of 1995, People Magazine decided to put Selena on the cover of their magazine. They did a full spread on her uh, with pictures and sharing her story and what happened to her, her untimely death. But it was only available to the West Coast side of the United States. So Texas, California, that side of things. Uh, for the East Coast, they put the cast of Friends. Uh, Jennifer Aniston, Matt LeBlanc, Lisa Kudrow. You know, that show was popping off, especially in the 90s. That was prime time for the Friends cast. Having Selena Quintanilla on the cover of a major mainstream publication was not only a big step forward for the Hispanic Latino community for representation, but it also showed the purchasing power of the Hispanic and Latino community because they were buying it up. It was flying off the shelves and it did so well that the big wigs up at People Magazine, and I'm sure they're with uh, Condé Nast, but anyway, they saw that, okay, people are really responding well to this and, and they want more. Um, so they ended up, because of that cover, launching People Español, which is still around today. And it showed that there was a big need that needed to be filled. And the need was the Latino community had a voice and they wanted to be heard. Last year was the anniversary of Selena's death. So People Magazine put out a commemorative issue featuring Selena again on the cover. And it sold over a million copies, which in 2020, for a magazine to do well like that is unheard of. Just because the magazine industry is definitely not what it used to be. So it not only shows the purchasing power of the Hispanic Latino community, but it also shows the impact that this queen has made even 25 years after her death. Her legacy still lives on, which is remarkable. And I think it's pretty cool to see the impact that Selena has made on even pop culture to this day. Artists like Selena Gomez, who was 
literally named after Selena, Demi Lovato, Lady Gaga, Beyonce, Katy Perry, have all talked about how much Selena Quintanilla's career, her look, her style, the way she danced, the way she moved, her fashion sense, her vocal range, how it's all influenced their own music careers. And I love that all of these artists have been so inspired by her. But when I think about artists today, there hasn't been anyone that's come on the scene since Selena died, specifically Latino, Hispanic, who are a quadruple package. I'm talking having it all, the fashion sense, the musicality, being able to dance and sing. And no, J-Lo doesn't count. I mean, J-Lo has some great skin. She could definitely move on that dance floor. But the vocals, come on now, what are we doing here? That's not what she's known for, okay? So <laughs> J-Lo can't sing, but she has a lot of other amazing qualities. It's just singing isn't one of them. So I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm just saying in regards to artists that are out today, no one has even come close. And it's pretty special. What Selena did for Tejana Music is what Elvis Presley did for rock and roll or what the Beatles have done for rock and roll or Janet Jackson and Madonna have done for pop music or Aretha Franklin has done for soul. They brought their own spice, originality, creativity, some skill. They became masters of their craft. These are legends we're talking about, actual icons. And the word icon is used very loosely these days. Everything's iconic, but it's really not. It's really not that iconic. Some stuff that people say are iconic. I'm like, mm-mm. But in regards to those people I just mentioned and, well, Selena, they're the definition of that word. When it comes to Selena Quintanilla's impact on my life personally, well, full disclosure, just be 100% honest with you guys, it's been a really difficult road, very challenging road, I must say, uh, to get to the point of loving myself and being proud of who I am. And I'm not happy to admit that. I feel a little bit of shame with it, but it is what it is. Uh, for a long time, I wasn't proud of who I am. I was embarrassed of where I came from. I hid the fact that I was Hispanic. I didn't want people to know that I was gay. And it didn't help that I was going to a predominantly white school where I already felt like the minority. And the thing is, I mean, specifically in grade school and even in high school, we had some, you know, Mexicans. Like, of course, there was a little bit of diversity, but it was predominantly a white school. And I saw how kids could be cruel and things that they would say and, you know, using words like beaner and wetback and it's very offensive. And I was like, geez, I just want to fit in. So if I have to downplay how Hispanic I am to fit in with these kids, then that's what I'm going to do. And I think I was already dealing with the pressures of so many people throughout my life, always questioning my sexuality and talking about me behind my back or making jokes at my expense and weaponizing my sexuality against me, calling me, you know, a faggot. And I pretended like it didn't get to me at the time, but of course it did. It affected me. So at the time in my head, I was like, okay, I can only deal with one targeted minority group at a time. So like, yeah, the gay thing is being thrown my way all the time. I'm going to downplay the Hispanic thing because that's just too much for me. It's like putting two targets on my back. And at that age, being a teenager, you just so desperately want to fit in with people. You want to belong. And, and I didn't. And to this day, I don't feel like I belong. The only difference is now... I love it and I embrace that. But I even know when it came to my friends that I had made and they were talking about their families and where they come from and that sort of thing, I went to a school that was not only predominantly white, but it was rich-ass white kids. These are kids that are given a Mercedes-Benz when they're 16 years old. They got rich-ass grandparents. It's like legacy-type money. And I didn't come from that. 
came from migrant farm workers. My great-grandparents worked the fields, and my nana worked in custodial services. She was literally maintenance, cleaning toilets, and I went with her a lot of the times. She was a hustler. Like, her kids never went without. She worked her ass off to get the job done so they could have a good life, but it didn't come easy. But I never talked about that because I felt a sense of shame. I never talked about the fact that my mom came from the ghetto, the barrio, and of course now she's highly educated and she's made a great life for herself. But my mom left the ghetto, but she never forgot where she came from. And that's why she's called the queen, because she never forgot her roots. But I didn't have that kind of confidence back then. And I wanted to downplay how Hispanic I was. And yeah, at school, I was eating gushers and trading Lunchables and shit like that. But at home, I was eating taquitos, making tamales and blasting Selena's music. And I remember asking the queen when I was younger, like, queen, do we have to make tamales? Like, can't we make like Rice Krispies or brownies or like just some sort of a baked good uh, that felt more Americanized or white? And my mom looked at me like, are you out of your freaking mind? (laughs) I ain't going to make that shit. No, Uh, we're making tamales and you're sitting at the table and you're going to learn how to do it, too, because it's tradition. And you should be proud that this is a recipe that's been in our family for over five generations Over 50 years, we've all been sharing in this particular meal. It's an act of love to make these. And you'll learn to appreciate it one day. I guarantee it. And I gave her a little bit of an eye roll. I'm like, yeah, sure, that's not going to happen. Let me know if we can make apple pies this year. (laughs) But she was right. I finally do actually appreciate it. And I'm so proud of it. And instead of hiding my background and where I come from, like I used to do when I was younger, now I'm so proud of it. I'm glad that I come from a family of hardworking class people who, again, worked their ass off, built something from absolutely nothing, and are some of the kindest, most hardworking, beautiful humans I've ever met in my life. I'm lucky to call them my family, and I'm so proud of them and and where I come from. As I got older, and of course, the internet is there, and I'm able to do a deep dive into the life of Selena Quintanilla, and this is right after high school when I'm in my 20s, and I'm trying to figure out who I am, and it's that whole, again, road to self-discovery, self-actualization. But the more I learned about Selena, the more interviews I watched, I saw how proud she was of where she came from. And again, this is a woman who came from very humble beginnings. This is someone who would typically be ostracized for not being Mexican enough as she's trying to enter into an arena where she doesn't even speak the language fluently. And I've watched countless interviews of her, and I've been playing her music for the last 25 years. But I think that's what's so beautiful about Selena. And that's why her legacy really does live on, because she is very inspirational in that way. She was proud of her roots. She's proud of where she came from. And she was authentically herself. And if you're listening to this and you've ever felt shame for being who you are or inadequate in any sort of way, the imposter syndrome is real. People like Selena Quintanilla are just a constant reminder of how to break through that and do you live your truth and be fearless. That's what Selena does for me, at least. And that's the woman that she is. That's what she represents to me. And then on the music side, her incredible catalog of music that I love so much It's able to transport me to a really special time in my life that is so pure, so happy, and I feel so much joy. And that's why her music is so important to me, because it's woven into the fabric of my life. It's woven into special memories I have with my Nana, who's no longer here, of me dancing in the kitchen with her or driving in the car, blasting Selena's music and singing it with my mom and and seeing my mom's hair blowing in the wind. 
It transports me to a time when I was eight years old, little boy dressing up in my living room, putting on a Selena concert. <laughs> I would put on a show and sing all of her songs and start it from the beginning and they'd have to stay for the whole concert. And I would make my cousins be my backup dancers. So I was Selena and I had my Ilos Dinos behind me. And my mom and my nana encouraged me to be who I was, to dance my heart out, to sing my heart out, and to stay true to who I am and not give a shit what bullies were saying about me. And I lost sight of that in my teen years as societal pressures kick in and I just so badly wanted to feel like I belonged to a group of people that I didn't belong to and I'll never belong to, and that's okay. But again, you know, it took me a long road to get to the point of being so good with that and actually loving who I am. And yeah, I have to say, besides my family, Selena Quintanilla is a big reason why I'm inspired to, again, be who I am in my own skin to this very day. I'm going to leave the episode with a interview that Selena did. It was right before she died. And in it, she talks about how she wanted to be a role model. And what's pretty incredible is mission accomplished. It's over 25 years later, and she's still a role model. She's still making an impact on so many generations, and it continues, which is a beautiful thing. When you're gone, how do you want to be remembered? As uh, not only as an entertainer, but as a person who, who cared a lot. Um, and I gave the best that I could, and I tried to be the best role model that I, that I possibly could and, and the best person that I could. I tried to help out. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Low Life Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. This was a solo mission talking about Selena Quintanilla for Hispanic Heritage Month. But next week, I have a special treat for you guys. The queen is coming back, coming in hot per your request, giving the low lifers what they want. Yeah, My mom is coming back next week. That's going to be a great episode. So tune in for that. And if you have any questions that you'd like to ask her, um, I'll open it up on the gram or on the Facebook group and you guys could submit your questions there. I just got to take a moment, take a beat and say thank you. Gracias so much to my listeners, my low lifers. I appreciate you so much. There are thousands of podcasts out there. You taking the time to be here with me listening to this one. It's so appreciated and I can continue to do this show and put out free content for you guys uh, because of your continued support. I can't do the show without you. And you taking the time to actually leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that's the winning move right there, especially for a small up-and-coming little shit show like the Low Life Podcast. This is episode number 50, and I can't believe we're still able to do it. <laughs> like, I don't think we'll make it to episode 10, um, but we're still choo-chooing along, and it's all thanks to you. So again, if you want to help the Low Life Podcast out, uh, leaving a review, giving it five stars on Apple Podcasts, really makes a big difference. And the review could be anything you want it to be. You can leave a little dick emoji, throw some tamales my way, a unicorn, a heart, a martini. The more reviews you leave, the better. And if you're taking the time to actually write a beautiful message, thank you so much for that. I read every single review. And again, it helps tremendously with podcasts, especially a startup podcast like The Low Life. And that's why I want to show my thanks and gratitude to my listeners by giving you guys a little something, something. That's my love language, gifts. So I'll be picking people in the review section of Apple Podcasts. I'm opening up the Low Life Gifting Suite. So if you leave a review, make sure to put your little IG handle in there because you might just win a little something, something from the Low Life Closet. Hyaluronic serums, gift cards, gifts from our sponsors. I bought a whole bunch of shit on Amazon and 
Who doesn't love free shit, especially with the holidays coming up? Oh, I have really cute holiday gift boxes that I'm going to be sending out to my low lifers. So anyway, that's just my little way of saying thank you so much uh, for supporting this podcast. And I want to shout out some of the low lifers who have taken the time to leave that review on Apple Podcasts. All right. First review comes from Ray Money 182 Ray Money writes, love you. You're the best. Your voice is so soothing. And I think you're hilarious. Ray Mooney, thank you for that. I'm glad you're enjoying my soothing voice. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like it might put people to sleep. So I got to spice it up once in a while. Um, but I'm glad you're enjoying it. And thank you for writing that review. All right, next review comes from Kaylee French. Kaylee French writes, five stars, low lifer for life. Low, I mean, new mom to two perfect 15-week-old twins. Oh, little twinsies. I love being their mom, and one of my main wishes for them is to grow up in a world where they both feel confident and beautiful in their own skin. I have been working on having a healthier relationship with food for the last five years, and will make sure that both of my kids grow up with a healthy relationship with food. Your episode with Aaron was amazing. I love that you were always keeping it real with your listeners and talking about the uncomfortable conversations. From Kaylee, who's a human mom of two, fur mom of two, who are sending you all the puppy snuggles with little dog dog rainbow emoji. Oh, that's so sweet, Kaylee. Thank you for taking the time to leave that beautiful review because I know you are freaking busy with two babies on your arm. Um, that's a lot to balance. And the two pups. My God, how do you do it, queen? That's amazing. Thank you again for those kind words. And I love that episode with Aaron. And I'm always down to have a tough conversation and talk about a taboo topic because why not? Life is too short. So the fact that you're able to enjoy that makes it all worth it. Thank you for that. All right. I have time for one more review. This one comes from Kai Ray 626. I love the way she spells it. Kai, K-A-I. Kai Ray 626 writes, mood boosting, soul soothing, five stars. Low, you can always take me from a downright awful day to cry laughing to myself at my desk anytime. Your openness and honesty keep me coming back for more. Your voice is like a soft butter. I'm sp <laughs> Your voice is like a soft butter I'm spreading on my dinner roll. <laughs> I'm obsessed. Low, keep doing you, boo. You've got a low lifer for life in me. <laughs> Kai Ray, I hope it's a Hawaiian sweet roll. Those are some of my favorites, like a warm Hawaiian sweet roll just smothered in butter. <laughs> that is the best review. Thank you for that, Kai. I'm so glad that I could take you on an emotional roller coaster, especially while you're at work. I appreciate that review. We have more amazing shows coming in hot for you. But until then, I hope you have a beautiful weekend ahead. Go carve yourself a pumpkin. Have a little margarita. But don't forget to drink your water, Puka. Because <laughs> I know you're thirsty. <laughs> we, we love, love you. you. And we're out. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. Over there with two. <laughs>